Um, I wanted to uh, just uh, welcome um, Reverend Phil Zook and his wife Hazel. Um, I don't know if you all realize uh, Phil was here this morning. He pastored Hebron many years ago, um, and he and his wife uh, Hazel are visiting with us this morning, and so just wanted to welcome them. Make sure after the service today that you get an opportunity to hug their neck and thank them for their time here at Hebron. Um, we are continuing in our series today, uh, You Asked For It, and this is where folks submit questions, questions about God, questions about theology, questions about the Bible, questions about contemporary issues, and then we go to the scriptures to see, well, what is the Bible, what does God think about the particular issue, and so we've allowed the Lord to speak to us. Now today the question that came our way is a question of can a person who is once saved, that is a person who has once put their faith and trust in Jesus, for the forgiveness of their sins, can they then at a later point in life lose their salvation? That is, uh, walk away from a relationship with the Lord, either because of some sin in their life that's habitual or because of a literal decision to renounce their faith in Christ. Does God ever uh, disown, if you would, a person under that scenario? And so I want to ask and answer three questions uh, they all kind of spill one out of another. The first of those questions is, can a person lose their salvation? The second question is, if a person can lose their salvation, at what point does they, do they lose their salvation? And then the final question that we're going to take a look at is, how can I be sure? Because if a person could lose their salvation, and they, at what point, how can I be sure that I know, that I know, that I know, that I'm saved? That is, that I have a relationship with Jesus, and that my eternal uh, state in heaven is secure in Christ. And so uh, that's where we're going today. Now we have our pastor's scripture comes from 1 John chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there with me. 1 John chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 23 and 24. And as is our custom, I'll ask for you to rise. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Okay. 1 John chapter 3 verses 23 and 24 reads like this. And this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now, um, this is a uh, question that's probably been debated in church history for centuries and centuries and centuries, dating back to the early church fathers. Um, and it has been. It's uh, been a part of some of the um, some of the synods of the church dating back to the second century uh, where the church fathers got together to talk about these issues as they were presented. So um, this is not something that we're going to give you the definitive word on today because it's something that's been debated so, for so long. And the reason why I can't give you the definitive word is because there's not one place in the Bible that it says that you can lose your salvation. Those explicit words do not occur in the biblical text. The Bible never says you can lose your salvation first whatever, chapter whatever, verse. That does not occur in the text. However, there are passages in the Bible that suggest that a person can lose their salvation. And those are the passages that we're going to take a look at today. To answer that first question, can a person lose their salvation? So let's take a look at the first of those passages. It comes from 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, now this is a letter written by the Apostle John, 
and uh, he's writing to a group of Christians, and that's key in understanding the context of what's going on here. He's writing to not non-believers, but to believers, and he says to them, 1 John chapter 2, verse 24, see that what you have heard from the beginning about Jesus being the Christ, what you knew at the start of your faith, of your walk with the Lord, remains in you. That is that you continue to hold that same belief, that you continue to believe it. Don't waver on that. Why? Because if it does remain in you, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. In other words, you will continue to have a relationship with God. Verse 25, and this is what he promised. That he promised us that we would remain, that verse before, he promised us that we would remain in a relationship with him and also even eternal life. So here John confirms that the person who is a believer, if, there's the word, if, that person continues to believe that Jesus is their Savior and Lord and continue to turn to him for the forgiveness of their sins and they will inherit eternal life, if being the key word there, if they continue to believe it. Second Peter chapter 2, Peter's writing to believers, same as John. John was writing to Christians, Peter's writing to Christians. They both, um, however, some of the believers that Peter is writing to have been led astray by false teachers. That is, some folks have come in and they've begun to teach them false doctrine. And these folks have, these Christians have gotten derailed uh, because of the false teaching. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 says, If they have escaped the corruption of the I'm sorry, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Peter acknowledges that the people that he's talking to here know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're believers. They know our Lord and Savior, and they have escaped the corruption of this world. Then watch what happens to these folks, but then they get entangled in it again. That is, they get entangled in their old ways, their sinful ways again, and overcome by that. In that scenario, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Verse 22, of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. This person has left behind, in this scenario that Peter's describing here, they have abandoned their Christian faith and pursued licentious living. They have pursued sinful ways. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is writing to the Corinthians in Corinth. So again, as with Peter, as with John, Paul is writing to believers here. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1, Now brothers, that is fellow Christians, I want, you to I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you which you have received, so they're Christians, on which you have taken your stand. Verse 2, by this gospel you are saved if, the operative word, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. And so again, just like Paul, just like, I'm, I'm sorry, Paul, just like John, just like Peter, holds open the possibility that a person can enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus. They can be saved. However, that relationship can terminate because he says you'll maintain that relationship if, he says, if you continue to believe. And then we've got one more verse for you. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul writing to the pastor uh, missionary Timothy, Paul says, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, friends, you cannot abandon something that you've never been a part of. You follow the thinking there. You cannot walk away from something that you were never a part of in the first place. He says, that Paul says that you can, Timothy, you can expect that some people will abandon the faith, will abandon Christianity. 
So those are the biblical passages that suggest that a person can lose their salvation. But again, there's no definitive statement in the Bible and the reason that says you can lose your salvation, which is why theologians have been debating this issue going back all the way to the first century. Um, But we do have some biblical evidence here to support the claim that a person can lose their salvation. You saw the evidence yourself. But the evidence, again, is not super definitive, and so I will just leave it there. Okay, well, given the evidence that we've looked at so far, which suggests that a person can lose their salvation, and there are other passages. I don't have an hour this morning, so uh, there are other passages. So the next question then is, well, if a person can lose their salvation, then at what point do they lose it? Like, if I sin today, am I out, right? Or if I sin for two days in a row, is God going to disown me? Uh, I mean, how does this work? At what point does God say, hey, look, uh, we're no longer in a relationship together? At what point does that happen? Well, that's a really great question. Uh, And the scripture gives us two criteria or two measurements uh, whether or not a person is a Christian. Number one, the first criteria is lifestyle. Lifestyle. And by this I mean that the person is striving to live for the Lord or... They're wallowing around in sin. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9 says, No one who is born of God, that is no one who's a believer, um, will do what? Will continue in sin. Pretty clear as to what John's saying here. It's interesting that John, in writing this letter, is writing a letter to Christians who are asking these questions. They are concerned about, can a person lose their salvation? And so John's giving them some definitive markers, if you would, to say, hey, this is how you can know whether or not you're a child of God, whether or not you're in a relationship with him. He says they will not continue to sin because God's seed remains in that person. He cannot go on sinning. Verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. So the one side and the other side, this is how you know which side you're on. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Very clear statement. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So the presence of willful and active sin in a person's life plus hatred toward their brother is a pretty good indicator, Paul says, that that person has stepped out of a relationship. I'm sorry, John says that that person has stepped out of a relationship with the Lord. The second litmus test that the Scripture gives us, the first one is lifestyle. The second litmus test that the Scripture gives us is wrong belief. Wrong belief. Go back to that passage in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul writes, Now, brothers, talking to fellow Christians here, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if, the operative word, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. In other words, if you keep believing, if you keep holding on to and believing the things which I have taught you, and what are the things that he's taught them? Verse 3, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Here's what you must believe. Number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So continue to believe what you've read and known to be true in this text, that you continue in believing that. And number two, verse four, that Christ was buried and that he was raised or resurrected on the third day, again, according to what is written in the scriptures, that you continue to believe those things. Paul lines out some essential beliefs that you have to maintain in order to remain in this relationship 
with the Lord. For your Christian roots to keep from being pulled up, Paul says, you have to continue to have right belief. On another occasion, Paul says it this way, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. That is, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, guess what? You will be saved. But as the biblical writers have affirmed, if you stop believing that, if you stop affirming that, if you renounce that, then heaven and a relationship with God are lost to you. So the question then is, the follow-up to that is, well, do you fall in and out of salvation? I mean, one minute you're in, next minute you're out, one minute you're in, next minute you're out. And the unequivocal response to that is no. Got a couple of scriptures for you. Um, when you deliberate, from what we've seen here, when you deliberately, willfully walk away from the Lord in habitual sin, that's what, Paul, that's what John said, right? He said if you continue in sin, that's a great indicator that that person is not attempting to pursue a relationship with the Lord. They're not continuing in a relationship with him. They've walked away from him. And secondly, if that person denies Jesus and the resurrection, then there is no salvation for them. So they're not falling in and out of uh, salvation because you sin. It's when that person walks continually away from the Lord and basically just says, God, I know that you want me to live a certain way, but I'm not interested in that. I want to do what I want to do. I want to live how I want to live. And so, God, I'm going in this other direction. And God says, well, walk away. And that's what we do. And so in that scenario, the scriptures are saying, hey, look, when you walk away, then you have, you're out of that relationship. And same thing goes with having a right belief versus a wrong belief. When you begin to renounce some of those essential beliefs of the scriptures, some of those essential beliefs about Christ dying for our sins, about he was God in the flesh, about the fact that he was resurrected from the dead, then that person is stepping out of a relationship with the Lord. Uh, Jason and I have talked on a number of uh, Sunday mornings about an acquaintance of his, I won't say a buddy, an acquaintance of yours, that has, um, is a pastor, and he's moved off, I think, out west someplace, someplace else out in the country to become a part of a church that is open and affirming. Um, this open and affirming church basically believes that you can't say no, because if you say no, then you're being unloving. Well, that's kind of the world that we live in these days. But in any case, things are upside down and twisted in his mind. And it's interesting because in, on Facebook, this guy just blasts people. He blasts Christians. Um, most recently, Jason was telling me this morning, he identified himself as a Zen Buddhist. I'm like, how are you pastoring a Christian church? But in any case, this is the upside down world that we live in. But he also, in recent months, has denied because of his secular thinking, because he says, you know what, miracles just can't happen. He's so twisted in his mind of secular thinking that he says, you know what, the resurrection, I don't think the resurrection really happened, he says. Well, friends, when I heard that, and Jason and I were talking about this, we both looked at one another and were like, that guy ain't a Christian. He's pastoring a church, but he's not a Christian. And uh, that made a lot of sense about all the stuff that we've, been, that we've been interacting with and reading over the past month. Now, I got one more question for us. And our third question is, how can I then be sure? Because, I mean, Gordon, you're painting this gloomy picture here today. How can I be sure that I've got salvation? How can I be sure that heaven is my eternal home? Um, besides the litmus test that John gives us of lifestyle and of having right belief, besides looking at those two things, the Bible says that there's one more way that we can know for certain that we have a relationship, a right relationship with the Lord. And that is through the assurance of the Holy Spirit. Flip over to those verses that we read a few moments ago, 1 John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And again, John is writing to believers who are asking these three questions. 
Can a person lose their salvation? If they can, at what point did they lose their salvation? And how can I be sure, John? How can I know that I've got heaven as my eternal home? And they're concerned about this. And so I would encourage you over the course of the next week to just spend some time reading through the letter of 1 John. Because he's answering these, I mean, over and over and over again, he's answering these three questions. And he says, 1 John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, he says, And this is his command, to believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands, verse 24, live in him. They have a relationship with the Lord. We've got that. That's old information. Here comes the new information. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. John says that the Holy Spirit that lives in each and every one of us will confirm to us, or can confirm to us if we seek it, the Lord's assurance that indeed we are heading for heaven. Um, Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, Paul says the same thing. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Uh, John Wesley was the father of Methodism, and uh, Wesley uh, wrestled with this question over whether or not he was in a up-to-date relationship with the Lord, that heaven would be his eternal home. He wrestled with that. Uh, he's a great theologian, evangelist back in the 1600s, 1700s, and um, in one encounter he had with, I believe it was a Moravian uh, fellow that was kind of a mentor to him, uh, the guy... Wesley was asking this question, and the guy just pointedly asked Wesley. He said to him, and I quote, Do you, John, know Jesus Christ? I paused and said, I know he's the Savior of the world. True, the man replied, but do you know that he has saved you? I answered, I hope he's died for me. He only added, but do you know yourself that Jesus died for you? And I responded, I do. But then he writes in his journal, but I fear those words were in vain. End of quote. Some days or weeks later, I don't know exactly the timeline, but Wesley attended a church service at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And he stepped outside into the night air, and then he writes these words about what happened next. He's standing alongside the church along Aldersgate Street, and he says these words, and I quote, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation. And an assurance was given me that Jesus had taken away my sins. Yes, even mine, and saved me, end of quote. Friends, that is the assurance that God gives us through the Holy Spirit. That we know, that we know, that we know, that we have a right relationship with the Lord. Okay, that's our, y'all seem so quiet this morning. <laughs> I told Jason it was going to be a thinker. But uh, anyhow, okay, well, that's our treatment for the topic today, which means that it's time for us to ask one more question. You say, Gordon, you said you only had three questions this morning. What's going on here? Well, we have one more question that's a given. And it's a question we ask every week around here, and that is, what difference does all this make to my life? Uh, you say, Gordon, thanks for the theology lesson this morning, but, uh, I mean, I got 
Easter clothes to buy for the kids. Uh, wondering how Jordan's feet doing out on the practice range this morning. I mean, what, what difference does any of this make to my life? Well, that's a really great question. Let's see if we can answer that. You know, we all have people in our lives who, for one reason or another, used to walk with the Lord, but for whatever reason, are not any longer. People who walk down an aisle at church camp or at church, people who entered the waters of baptism to make their confession of faith, but now there is very little of Christ left in their life. They've wandered, they have backslidden into sin, they've chosen to walk away, or worse yet, they've renounced their faith altogether. Let's see what the Bible has to say about such people. Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, Jesus tells this story. He said, there once was a man who had two sons. Verse 12, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so the father divided his property between the two sons and handed over the other son, the younger son's share. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for Las Vegas. I think that's the way that reads. And there squandered his wealth in wild living. You may recognize this story. It's the story of the prodigal son. This young man, it's important to note, was in the father's house. He was a child of the father. He was part of the family. And then he made a decision to walk away. Now, the rest of the story goes that this guy went, squandered all that he, all of his inheritance, had lived in, in, in the depths of sin, found himself uh, totally out of money. Um, he was slopping pigs, and so there in the midst of the pig pen, he falls down in the mud, and he hits rock bottom. And he comes to his senses. And he says, you know what? I, I, I can do better than this. I could go back to my father's uh, estate and I could just be a peasant working on the estate and have a better life than living here slopping hogs in this pig pen. And so the son decides to go back home to his father with no expectation of forgiveness, with no expectation of being restored into the family, and look at the father's response. Verse 21. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. That is, he recognizes that he had sinned against heaven. He had, the sin that he had done had grieved the heart of God, that he had gone and wallowed around in sin and participated in sin and done what, done what he wanted to do and had run away from the Lord. And so, and not only that, but he had also sinned against his own family, had hurt the heart of his own family. And he comes back home to say that that is to take full responsibility for his actions. He comes back home not to give excuses, but to say, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against God, and against you, Father. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now look at the father's response. Verse 22. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a party and celebrate. Why? Verse 24, because my son, my boy, my, the son of mine was dead. That is, he was out of our lives. He was out of a relationship with us. He had walked away from the family. He was no longer a part of the family. He had gone off and done his own thing and was away from us. And now he is alive again 
if he was lost and now is found. Friends, the reason why we ask this question, can a person lose their salvation, is not because we want to be able to debate well with the Baptists, right? That's not why we ask this question. We ask this question because there are people in our lives who have walked away from the Lord. There are people in our lives whom we love and whom we care about, but who are like the prodigal son, have said, you know what, I want to do life my way. And I'm not interested in God's way. And so we ask this question, can a person lose their salvation? Because we are deeply concerned about those people. And so let me ask you this morning, who are the prodigal children in your life? Maybe it's a truly rebellious child. Maybe it's a sister or a brother. Maybe it's a cousin or a favorite uncle or a best friend who, for whatever reason, walked away from a decision that they had made years ago to follow the Lord. They've drifted out of the church. They've drifted out of right belief. They've drifted away from the Lord. And if you examine the evidence of their lifestyle, you would say, according to what John's saying here, you know what? That person has walked away from a relationship with Jesus. And so I want to take some time this morning as part of our worship service to bring before the Lord those friends, those family members, those loved ones who desperately need to be stirred in their hearts to return to a relationship with God. We cannot make them return. Did you hear that? We can't do that. We can't make that happen for them. They've got to hit their own bottom. They've got to come to their senses, and we can't make that happen. But the Holy Spirit of God that convicts of sin and that stirs the hearts of men can. And so we want to bring before the Lord those people today. But before we pray, I want to take a moment to talk to a few of us here today who would say, you know what, Gordon? Maybe I'm not as bad as that guy, that prodigal son, but I've walked away from Jesus. I've walked away from a meaningful relationship with him. And I recognize maybe I'm not all the way gone, but I'm getting closer. Friends, if that's you today, here's what I'd like for you to do. In just a few moments while the communion trays are passed, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And for you, in the quietness of that moment, to return to the Father. Don't give him excuses. Don't tell him why he should accept you back. Take full responsibility. Come to the Father in full repentance, asking for his forgiveness, asking for Jesus to live in your heart again. And friend, if you come to Jesus that way, you will find the Father's arms open wide, ready to celebrate and to receive you home. I hope you'll pray that prayer this morning. Let's bow our heads together. Most gracious God, there are people in our lives, people in my life, who I know, Lord, are not in a right relationship with you. They have walked out from the family. Lord, we ask through the power of your Holy Spirit, perhaps even during this Easter season, that you would stir in their hearts a need for you. 
that you would bring them under deep, deep conviction of their sin, of their waywardness, of their wrong belief. Lord, that they would recognize with a little bit of panic that they are outside of heaven. Wake them up, we pray, Lord Jesus, for their sake. Lord, hear our prayer this morning. We come now around this table. It reminds us of Christ's shed blood. It reminds us of your broken body. We are reminded, Lord, that there is no other way to heaven but through you. And so, Lord, we come to celebrate this meal, but also to petition you to stir in the hearts of our loved ones. We commit them and these prayers to you. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.